0: Invite everybody now to turn with me, if you will, uh, in God's word to Romans chapter 14. Um, We're going to start by just reading verses 1 through 12, Romans chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 12. Take a little break from the Psalms today. Beloved saints, family of God, this is our Father's word to us this morning. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while another sorry, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains despise uh, pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the living and the dead. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord. Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Well, let's pause there and uh, ask the Lord to bless our time in His Word. Father, you know our hearts. You know how tired we are, how scared and how frustrated. And you know what we need your grace, your love, your patience, your perspective. And so we, as we open your word, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, that you would speak to our hearts, and that you would knit us more together in Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, over the last three months, there's been a lot of talk about COVID-19, and it's clearly affected our church. This is our 11th Sunday of not being able to worship in person together. Uh, For many in the congregation, it's the 12th Sunday. And we've talked a lot about logistics, but not a lot about some of the deeper matters. And for that, I apologize. I'll be honest, Um, at the beginning, I thought we were gonna be meeting online for two, three weeks, maybe six, but 11, 12? I just didn't think that was gonna happen. And I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Um, But here we are, and people are tired. Patience has run thin. I think more than anything, we miss each other. Of course we do. God is triune. He is inherently relational, and so are we. We are made in his image. We're made to reflect that relational character. And so in one hand, in light of all the circumstances, Zoom has been a wonderful blessing. We've been able to see each other and hear each other and gather together in in some way. The simple reality is we have been meeting We haven't been neglecting uh, the assembling together, but meeting online will never be the same as meeting in person. But there's more going on than simply missing each other, as is often the case when tragedy strikes, it's followed by an initial sense of unity. We saw this after 9-11 and we saw this in March with the initial stay at home orders. Everyone was saying, we're in this together and Uh, That's good, but invariably, people grow frustrated with how things are handled, and those frustrations build, and they turn to resentment, and they turn to anger. And then a host of new divisions emerge, debates over how serious COVID is. Is this the next Spanish flu, or is it like any other flu? Do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? Is wearing a mask symbolic of being silenced, or is it just a simple health precaution? Is the government targeting religious groups? Is it not? Is the stay-at-home order a lifesaver or a freedom destroyer? Is it a violation of your constitutional rights or is it the clear obligation of the government? Do you live in fear do you trust in God? Should the church ignore the stay-at-home orders? Should it submit? And the list goes on and on and on. But there's one thing that we really need to think about. If our number one question is who's right, and not how do I love and serve those with whom I disagree, then the devil has already won. He's no fool, and he knows the best way to destroy a church is not from outside antagonism, but from infighting. And why waste such a golden opportunity? And so this morning, especially as we consider resuming uh, in-person corporate worship next week, and what it will look like, I just want to pause as a church family, and ask the more important questions. What is God calling us to? What what does love look like as we move forward? Or or maybe I could put it this way. What doesn't the devil want us to consider? That's really what I want to wrestle with. And, And my hope as we meditate on Romans 14 and a couple other passages Simple point. The gospel calls us to love and serve one another, not to quarrel over opinions. And so as we we meditate on these passages, I first want to consider the pandemic we all face. And I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about the pandemic of pride that has been going on a lot longer. Uh, And after that, I'd like to consider a few models. And I'm not talking about models about how COVID will spread or be contained. I'm talking about models in scripture of what it looks like to put others first. And then finally, I'd like to make some practical reflections on what God is calling us to as we move forward. So that's really the the simple plan this morning. I think Romans 14 is uh, maybe a familiar passage to to many of you. We spent some time looking at it a few years back when we studied Romans. Uh, Most of the book of Romans is about the relationship between Jewish and Gentile believers in Rome as co-heirs of the gospel. And the question of how are they to relate to one another within the church? Uh, Do they worship separately or together? Do Gentiles have to start acting like Jews? Do, Do Jews need to start acting like Gentiles? And those are the questions the book is grappling with. And this may surprise you, but there were actually divisions and factions forming within the church. There were disputes and arguments. There was pride, there was hurt feelings. The Jews wanted to worship Jesus as the Messiah and and continue to celebrate their holy days, their feasts, their dietary practices. The Gentiles wanted nothing to do with those and wanted the Jews to let go of their heritage, their practices, which would mean violating their consciences. And little by little, this became the focus within the church in Rome. Should Gentiles follow Jewish feasts and dietary laws? Or should Jews abandon them? Should Gentiles get circumcised? Should Jews stop the practice? And the underlying assumption was that in order to have unity, you had to have uniformity. To worship together, you had to look the same, to act the same, to think the same. And the irony in all of this is that the Gentiles had been able to worship with Israel for centuries and it never required uniformity. All that was required of them was that during the Passover they eat nothing leaven, that they abstain from eating blood, and that they observe the Sabbath. In other words, uh, unity had never required uniformity. And so why should it now? I think the danger we all face is thinking that people need to look, think, and act like us in order to have fellowship. And when you believe that, you will become inevitably invested in changing them, feel threatened by any difference, because you'll see it as a judgment on on what you believe or practice. And so we end up getting involved in all sorts of silly arguments, iPhone or Android, Ford or Chevy, Marvel or DC? Does the toilet paper go over the top or under the bottom? Do you squeeze the toothpaste from the top or the bottom? But enough about my foolish arguments. I'm sure you can come up with some of your own that you've been too invested in. And the church isn't immune. Uh, Think of the arguments that arise about music based simply on what I like or consider to be good music, and think about how much people have tried to shape the music of the church simply to reflect their own personal tastes. Or, Or think about the preaching. Going through seminary, I remember hearing so many opinions stated as fact. Someone would say, a pastor should only say you and never we because it's his job to convict the congregation. And just as dogmatically, somebody would say, a pastor should always say we and never you because he is as much under the word as the congregation. Or every sermon should have three points or not three points. Or you must have illustrations because they illuminate. Or you can't have illustrations because they distract. Or or you must have application or people won't know what to do. Or you can't have application. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And typically, when you ask somebody why, they'll go back to some preacher that was really uh, important and meaningful in their lives. And that's how that preacher did it. So it must be the right way. But little room gets left for different personalities for different styles. I'm not talking about different doctrines, different truths, but that's just it. We easily mistake the way truth is presented for truth itself. But Paul wrote nothing like Peter Peter wrote nothing like John. John wrote nothing like James. And yet they all somehow agreed on the more important matters. Things like, we are all sinners. We are all stumbling about trying to find our way forward. We we recognize our mistakes and and we make course corrections, at least we should. That our our only hope is in Jesus Christ who came into this world to, to seek and to save the lost. That hope is found in a salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But if we agree on all those things, why do we get bogged down in other issues? Why does this seem to happen in every age, in every country, in in every denomination? I think there's a pandemic of pride. It's it's pandemic. It it knows no borders. It, It afflicts all races, genders, ages, education levels. It doesn't care how much money you do or don't make. And it drives us to debate every issue and want to win that debate. And a lot of things can drive that. The desire to be right or the fear of consequences. But at the end of the day, there's this this, this belief that that your way is not just the right way, but it's the only way. So let's go on and read uh, verses 13 through 23 of Romans 14. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of Christ. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The fact that you have, the fact that you have, and so the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. For whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. It's not that we can't discuss other issues than the gospel, but how we do that matters. If we plant our flags on those issues, eventually people will think, if I can't agree, then I'm not welcome, and I must move on and find someplace else. Those smaller issues will come to define the church rather than the most important ones. And Paul calls that putting a stumbling block before your brother or sister. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. When we let those little issues consume us, the message we send is that only those who agree are welcome. And God says that this puts a stumbling block before our brothers or our sisters in the Lord. It's a hindrance to continued fellowship. You might say, but I'm right. If they're offended, it's just the truth that offends them. Have you ever noticed that when others say this, they're jerks, but when we say it, we're the champions of truth? Look at what Paul says in verses 14 and 15. He says, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Even if you're right, if it makes those lesser issues primary at the expense of your brother, it's not love. That doesn't mean we never plant our flags. In fact, this language of stumbling blocks is helpful because the Bible is clear that there are stumbling blocks that should be there that God has put there. And that stumbling block is Jesus Christ crucified a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, the Bible calls that. This is what God says should unite or divide us. If we can't admit that we are sinners who deserve hell for our sins, if if we can't agree that we have no hope of rescuing or saving ourselves, if we can't confess that it is Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection that are the only things that can bring peace between God and sinful man, if we can't unite in calling out to Jesus as the only hope of grace, then we have no unity, we have no peace. Our struggles come when we let matters of opinion become what defines us. Verse one says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. Verses 17 through 19 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Those who are strong, he says in chapter 15, verse 1, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So what does this look like? That's what we need, right? We we something to show us what this looks like. We love models. And right now there are models everywhere. Here's here's what would have happened if we hadn't done this or if we did this. Here's what will happen if we do it this way or what will happen if we do it that way. But there's another kind of model, uh, something you can point to and say, "That's, that's what I'm talking about right there. And that's what Paul does in chapter 15, verse three. He says, what does this look like? He says, look at Jesus. He did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul's simply saying, what does it look like to not serve yourself, but to serve others? Look at Jesus. I mean, at no point was Jesus ever wrong. He, he could have entered into every single discussion with absolute confidence that he was right. And yet time and time again, he laid down his rights in order to take the posture of a servant and show kindness and love towards others. He summarized his entire life, his own life with those words. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He laid down his rights. He he laid down his life because people were more important to him than being right. And Paul says that's a good model to follow. And Paul's not just trying to sound pious Uh, This is the model Paul followed, and so he becomes another model for us. When writing to Philemon about his escaped slave, Onesimus, Paul notes that that Philemon was deeply in debt, and Paul could have demanded Onesimus' release to pay that debt. But instead, he simply says, "I, I I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Paul didn't want to place a stumbling block before his brother. That could have caused bitterness and pain. But he even went further, though, and he says, if Onesimus has wronged you at all, verse 18, or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Paul refused to demand his own rights, but instead offered to pay a debt of another. (laughs) Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus. And the Bible is full of such examples, such models of grace. Who can forget Joseph's words to his brothers in Genesis 50? When their father died, his brothers were certain that Joseph would exact his right to revenge for the evil they had done. But Joseph refused to. He actually saw his slavery and imprisonments as means to serve and to provide for his brothers. And rather than demand justice, he said, do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Uh, One of my favorite examples uh, comes at the end of of the book of Job. Throughout the book of Job, uh, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar uh, had afflicted Job with their opinions. They had spoken their thoughts at length and berated an innocent man for not agreeing with them. They had not eased his burden, they had increased it. And at the end of the book, God said that he would only show them kindness if Job interceded on their behalf. (laughs) What would you do? Job had every right to give them justice and not mercy. But God had just shown him mercy and kindness. And so Job looked at, at these men who had afflicted him with their opinions And he laid down his rights, and he interceded for the very ones who had made his life miserable. And it's not just intended for us as a neat story, but as a model for us to follow as God's children. Beloved, our our enemy is no fool. He is a crafty adversary, and he does know that the greatest threat to the church will never come from outside persecution. He knows that the greatest threat will always be divisions within the church. He knows that he will get more traction when we feel right, when we feel like a champion of truth. Then we will feel more willing to be harsh with those that God has called us to love. And he knows that times of stress are ideal times to stoke disunity, even among the best of us. And I think it's at these times that that we need to learn to ask the right questions. Because we'll never arrive at the right answers if we're asking the wrong questions. So, so what are some of the questions we can be asking? Maybe instead of asking who's right, we can ask whose rights are we going to defend, ours or someone else's? I think we're all eager to, to get back to meeting in person, but maybe the question we should be asking is, how can I show love to those who have different opinions on the severity of this and the right course of action? Will I put a stumbling block in front of others? Will we be defined by our differences or by what unites us, Jesus Christ? Lord willing, next week we're gonna be back worshiping in person together, at least some of us, and and that's good, We, we need each other. If possible, we want to be together in person. But I don't think that that's the most important question it's what happens when we resume that matters what does love look like in real life i'd like to briefly reflect on two other passages and how they might give us some direction the first is galatians 5:22 and 23 you can turn there if you want or just listen it's a familiar passage the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We know that the Spirit is at work when we see love and joy and peace. Because when we love each other, we experience peace. So let us strive for peace uh, through love. Patience is manifested when we trust the Lord. And we're going to need patience. Things are not immediately going to go back to how they were. How many? How many? Uh, we are free to meet with, whether we meet inside or outside, masks, whether or not they're singing right away. Uh, And these might change several times. And we're going to need patience. Uh, Nothing's probably going to be exactly the way any one person wants it. Can we be patient with each other? Um, Gentleness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It marks out a heart that's been conquered by Christ. So let us be gentle in our speech with one another. Someone might think there are too many restrictions. Another might think there are not enough. Someone thinks that we should all wear masks. Somebody thinks none of us should. Someone might want to hug everyone in sight. Another might not be comfortable with physical contact yet. Someone will prefer to stay home for a while. And you can sit there and try to convince them they're wrong. Or you can smile and say, No problem. I love you and I would never want to put a stumbling block before you. You can sit there and say, I don't need a face mask. But that person over there thinks that it's a necessary precaution. Can you sit there and say, for his sake? I'll do it. All of this is to say that, that we need to remember to love each other. And I love how 1 Corinthians 13 characterizes love. Joe and Julie Pujuda had me meditate on this passage at their wedding just a few months ago. It's so beautiful. Love is patient and kind. Starts. Uh, Sound familiar? (laughs) A lot of overlap with Galatians 5, isn't there? But it goes on to make some helpful observations of what a a patient and kind love looks like. It goes on to say that love is not arrogant or rude, that truth never requires us to be rude. Uh, Love demands that we're not. If we're being rude, we're not being loving. Love does not insist on its own way. (laughs) I think that (laughs) might be the hardest statement in the bible because we always want our own way we never say this is what i want so we should probably do the opposite because i want to serve others but love does not insist on its own way if you can see no other way than the one that seems right to you you need to ask is that love speaking 1 Corinthians 13 goes on. It says, love is not irritable or resentful, not insisting on your own way. Uh, And it does not mean uh, going home and stewing. The only way to truly let go of things is to see them in perspective against what is most important. When people are more important to us, what they do will become less important. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 13 says, (coughs) Excuse me. First Corinthians 13 says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Can we bear all things with one another? If we love each other, we can. Can we believe the best about those who see things differently? If we love them, we can. Can we endure a road forward that might not be exactly what we would want it to be? Because the love of Jesus is in us, the clear answer is yes, we can. The enemy would divide us, but greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. If I could sum up everything we've seen, it would be in Jesus' words. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus showed his love for us and that he laid down his life for us. If we were together in person this week, we'd be having the Lord's Supper, a visible reminder of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. The Lord's Supper is a picture of what love looks like. And so it's also a picture of how we are to love each other. And I'm confident you will. Uh, In the weeks and the months ahead, that may be Uh, May that be the image that controls our hearts and our minds. In the midst uh, of a pandemic of pride, may we learn to follow the various models of love and humility that God has given us. May we learn more and more how to love each other as he has loved us. Let us pray. Our triune God, you who are innately relational, We long to be together, and we thank you that we can resume next week. When we gather, may it be sweet. May it be marked by humility, by laying laying down our rights to serve others, by outdoing one another and showing honor. We have hope that this is possible because we belong to Jesus and he has shown us what it is to serve, to lay down his rights, to lay down his life, and he now lives within us. May your spirit bear his fruit in our lives. May the love that Christ has shown us define this congregation, we pray. Amen.